welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. It's a bit of a reversal from our typical schedule. Adam Spinella has had a bunch of high school events over the course of the last two weeks. He wanted a couple of days, so we're going to get spins in the middle of the week. Schindler was very happy to slide his typical weekly appearance up to the Sunday-Monday show. So we're all very lucky to have him. Mark, what's going on, buddy? Man, not a ton. Uh, good stuff. I mean, I, we were talking before we got on. Busy, busy basketball day. I think, like, just in retrospect, this weekend of basketball yesterday and and today is, like, probably the busiest weekend we're going to have until conference yeah. tournament week. So, um, yeah, watching more college live this weekend than I typically do just because easiest way to get it all compacted. So it's been fun, man. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Nigel Hayes today. So, <laughs> Well, it's been funny because, like, I feel like typically I watch more live college basketball than you do, but I feel like yeah. I focused more on the NBA this weekend uh, in order to kind of catch up on some things mm-hmm. uh, and to kind of schedule out podcasts. So obviously this is a holiday week and I'm going to let people know what's happening with the podcast. So three podcasts week as usual. Schedule's obviously a bit funky because of the holidays. Schindler is today. Then we're going to have Adam oh, coming Christmas up. Christmas is this week. I was trying to I was trying to Sunday, think what holiday right? is this week and yeah that that makes sense okay sorry you go can, can, pretty can, wild can. right yeah um so spins will be in the middle of the week and then at the end of the week I have a fun podcast where I'm going to kind of talk about a couple of teams that are teetering on the brink maybe and dive into those teams and I don't really want to say who the guests are yet because you know you never know what falls through during the holidays weird things can happen, everything like that. But there will be three this week. Then next week on the Sunday going into Monday, I will pre-record a mailbag episode so that people can get the podcast on Monday. That'll just be me answering your questions. I don't want to make people come on, everything like that. Then after that, in the middle of later portion of the week, probably we'll have Adam and Mark on. We'll figure out what's going on there at some point. But That's what's happening in terms of the podcast. Go subscribe to the Game Theory YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini over on YouTube. That's the best way to support the show right now. Also subscribe on all of your various podcast platforms. Now, what is the schedule for today's episode? (laughs) I thought Mark and I, after a two and a half hour episode last week, we were going to have a nice tight show this week, maybe an hour 10. I thought we were going to be fine. But then Anthony Davis's injury prognosis came down and it kind of threw things for a loop. So we're going to start with something I want to talk about at the beginning, which I'm going to dive into in a second here. Then we're going to go to Anthony Davis. Then we're going to talk about Kevin Durant and the surging nets. And then we're going to talk about Mark's prospect of the week, who is? Keontae George of Baylor. Really excited to talk about Keontae because I think this is the first one where Mark and I have a bit more of a divergence in take not that either of us dislike Keontae we just have Mm -hmm. some I think I have a couple more questions about him than Mark does maybe moving forward um not to say you don't have questions but I I think that I'm just like a a little bit wider in terms of potential evaluation at the end of the year on Keontae Mm -hmm. um so let's dive in finally after that four minute preamble the first thing I wanted to talk to you about Mark is Throughout this season, I feel like I've noticed this interesting trend across basketball. 
really across the NBA in particular, mm-hmm. where it feels like to me that NBA fans seem to be living or dying more and more with every single game. They seem to care more about every single game that seems to be happening. And like I tweeted about this last night and got a bunch of likes and retweets and responses and everything. And I compared it kind of like to college basketball fandom, right? Where like, you know, this will give me an opportunity to shit on like AP voters, right? On some level, like the fact that like AP voters like slide teams up and down willy nilly, like it's crazy. is just Mm -hmm. like weird to me. Um, I feel like it just completely discounts the idea of like shooting variants or like actual like team talent in some way. And everyone goes at the mercy of the resume, quote unquote, as opposed to, uh, you know, team quality and how good a team is basically. It's, it's a bit bizarre to me. It's why I actually really respected the way someone like Jesse Newell, uh, did his rankings when he did them, when he was writing about Kansas for the Kansas city star. Um, So I guess that like where I'm going with this is I'll just hit this back to you. Do you feel like NBA teams and NBA fans and NBA people who write about NBA teams, do you feel like with me that there seems to be more of a thing happening where they're living and dying with every single game and every single night that they watch their team? Yeah, um, I think it definitely depends on the fans, uh, but I I certainly have noticed that too. Um, And I wonder if part of that is just not to get like all existential, but I feel like part of that is just social media in general, like with how uh, everything is right there, you know, like, okay, instead of going from, you know, you're waiting as a fan, you know, till the next day to read quotes from post-game pressers in the news conference. Like, okay, you can watch it on Twitter live where you can just like be so invested in it right there when it's happening. And, um, and then you, all right, you can go right into spaces and talk about it, or you can be tweeting about it the entire time too. Like, I think it's just, everything is so immediate with it that it kind of heightens that and adds to it. I'm sure there's an element too, where how things are written and talked about, like that drums up engagement that drums up the way that, um, not saying that you or I do that. I, I'm sure that I've probably done it at some point in my career unintentionally, but I think like there is just a, a tendency with what's happening right now and kind of taking that and projecting it, you know, at, at large and when maybe it necessarily, it, it shouldn't necessarily be. Um, I think that there's definitely a lot to, to that though. Like you, like you're mentioning in terms of, especially talking about like with college basketball, um, because, like, I mean, Creighton should rightfully drop. They've dropped a ton of games here. But, like, also noting, like, people shouldn't be like, oh, well, they're out of the tournament. Like, okay, Ryan Kalkbrenner hasn't played. Their yeah. depth hasn't popped at Your all. Their best like, player's it's, out. Like, yeah, it's like stuff. Here? Exactly. Like, it's it's all context and nuance. And I think that gets shed a lot, especially when you're just looking at the game-by-game scenarios. Yeah, no. I, so I totally agree. But it's interesting to me the way it's, like, bearing itself out. Like, the team that like almost stands out most to me with this is the Denver Nuggets, right? Yeah. Like when I see Nuggets fans talk about their team, like from one night, it's like, oh my God, like we're a legit title contender. Like we can do this. And then like another night when they give up like 130 points or whatever, because their defense is kind of a sieve on a night to night basis. It's like, oh no, like, you know, our team is bad. Like, why can't we? Um, defend anyone. We can't go anywhere until we defend anyone. And this team is like 17 and 11. Like they're good. 
let alone some of these other teams like Raptors fans right now. And like, you know, I'm one of the teams that I'm talking about later in the week is the Raptors. And I'm really excited to talk about the Raptors um, with a really fun guest that I really enjoy, but like Raptors fans, like that game against the Nets, because we're going to talk about the Nets. I just watched, um, rewatched it last night because I watched like the fourth quarter live uh, when that game happened. And then I rewatched the whole thing yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I thought there were like some really good signs from the Raptors. Like this is a team without OG and Anobi, without Gary Trent. Like there are some things that they're doing that I think are like pretty good. Like Scotty Barnes is starting to get moving a little bit. Fred Van Vliet's starting to come out of his funk. Like you can really see the positive signs with the Raptors, in my opinion. And then like, it's totally doom and gloom uh, for the fan base right now. And then when they win, you know, it's like, Oh my God, like, you know, maybe not we're a title contender, but we're a team that's going to make the playoffs. Like we look really good. It just feels like there's such a flip every single game but it feels like it's coming out of real engagement. Like I, I want to talk about reasons for this in a minute, but like it really feels like fans are living and dying more and more with a night to night result. Think about like the way that we used to talk about the NBA where it'd be like, Oh, games before Christmas don't really matter. And then the games in like March and April, they can be like totally fake. And then, um, you know, there's no point in talking about the NBA season until, you know, the football season ends. It just does not feel that way to me right now. Does it to you? No, not at all. Uh, I think especially like you're mentioning too, like, I mean, you look at these teams that, of course, like there's been a lot of metamorphosis over the beginning of the season, but racking up wins early is monumental for, for what happens late in the year. Um, like, obviously, you know, there are teams that are going to uh, like the. I don't expect New Orleans to play at like a 60 win rate the entire year. I think that they're a really good team, arguably the best team in the West. But I think that's that's just really hard to do. Injuries happen. Shit happens. It's hard to do that. But at the same point, like, OK, they're in a much better spot and position than, say, the Lakers or Golden State or Minnesota, who have struggled to, to rack up wins early, who have dropped a lot of games that they probably shouldn't have. And even like going off that point, too, like. Like you're mentioning, just as another example, Pelicans lose to the Suns last night in their feels like their ninth matchup in the last week. Um, <laughs> and it's not even that they played bad. It's just, okay, Devin Booker had one of his best scoring performances of all time. Like, what did he finish with? Like 57 and 58. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he's, I mean, Dyson Daniels, and, and I was watching it this morning. Dyson and, and her were just like all over him. I didn't think that the defense was like awesome, but I didn't think it was bad either from the team as a whole. And it was just he's making shots over three guys. You that happens night to night sometimes. Um, and if you know, if you literally just think about it, like, okay, if he misses three or four of those thirty-five attempts, which when I first looked at the box score this morning, I was like, wow. Um, but you know, like again, like if it's if there's just some variance in it, like you're mentioning, it's it's a different story. It's more about the process, and I think um, to credit Pelicans fans, I think that they're pretty good at noticing that. Um, but yeah, it is it is really weird, man. So. Let's kind of dive into a few reasons why I think this is happening, right? So it feels like to me there are a few different reasons. So I, I want to eliminate one thing off the jump where I had a couple people respond to me. They think gambling is why this is. I'm talking about something like totally different than gambling. Like unless 
fans are, and this is where me following 35,000 people on Twitter or whatever, and just like having random basketball fans, like come across my timeline is super valuable. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really see anything when it comes to gambling Mm -hmm. as far as the reason why this is. And I follow a lot of gamblers as someone who gambles and certainly used to gamble. I'm theoretically not allowed to anymore because of the athletic and because of rules. Um, And I follow a lot of fans and the two seem to be very different to me, in my opinion. So I don't really see it as gambling. I see it more from a competitiveness standpoint. And I think the best reasons that I can think of right now are first and foremost, the league wide parody. I think that fans recognize how important a lot of these games are, particularly in the Western conference where the split and the difference between every team right now is so, so minimal. Like you look at the NBA standings and the difference between first place in the West and 10th place in the West. And we are over a third of the way into the season is five games. The Golden State Warriors right now are 11th in the Western Conference. They are only five and a half games out of first place. That is like a catchable number, mm-hmm. a third of the, or like a little bit over a third of the way into the season. Nobody outside of like the Thunder Spurs and Rockets are out of it yet. And even the Thunder are like still in it to be a play-in team. So I think that the parity and recognizing that every single game really matters is a big part of this. Second, I do think that like the Wembenyama sweepstakes are coming up because teams are going to have to make an earlier and earlier decision this year in terms of when to pull the plug right on contention. And because of that decision-making process, that's going to have to come earlier. I think that fans are just more engaged in what's going on from a win loss perspective. Also, I just think that there are more title contenders this year, frankly, to go back to the top end of the league. Like, I think you can genuinely make a case that all of Milwaukee, Boston, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Philadelphia is coached by Doc Rivers, so maybe they don't have a chance. But like Memphis, New Orleans, Denver, Phoenix, the Warriors, you know, probably the Clippers, if you really wanted to make a case for it. Uh All of these teams, I think, have a very real chance to win the title this year. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? No, I would agree with that. Obviously, like varying levels, but I mean, it's when, like, like you're mentioning, I think um, it can be as simple as okay, well, I don't really think that they're necessarily quote unquote favorable matchups, but in terms of like the way that um, you know things shift based on who you're playing in a playoff series. If one team gets like the right matchup or what is most beneficial for them and their skill set, then yeah, I mean, it can, it can happen. So like, I mean, I think like I, the way that I've tended to talk about the Cavs this year is I don't think that they're a team I would necessarily bet on to win the title, but I think that they could make the finals. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all. Like that's a team where if they pull the right side of the bracket and they get hot and they're healthy, then yeah, they have the they have the guys to get there. So I, I totally agree. Yeah. So like, I, I just like kind of look across the board, and I think that the parity is very real. I want to bring up one more thing, and this is something that the league has done that I think has just completely worked. I think the play in has completely helped with this. 
Like, I, I think it is unequivocal that the play-in has been enormous for keeping fans engaged more and more because it feels like more teams are genuinely in the playoff picture. 20 teams make the playoffs basically now, as opposed to 30, and or as opposed to 16 previously. That's a big addition. Like, you're adding 12% more of the league into the playoff picture. And that means earlier in the season, especially, everyone basically thinks outside of San Antonio fans – Detroit fans, Houston fans right now, that they're like legitimately in the playing picture. Like the Orlando Magic have won six straight games and they are three games out of the play-in race. Like if I was a Magic fan, you know, I don't think that they're going to make the play-in, but they're talented and yeah. Franz Wagner and Paulo look great. They've looked awesome with Markel Fultz running the show. Uh, he has been a huge, huge benefit for that team. And I just am so intrigued by how even a team like that feels like it probably should. So I think kudos to the league as much as anything for getting these fans, getting a wider swath of fans more and more engaged uh, throughout the season. I think the play-in has really, really worked and done exactly what the league wanted it to do when they implemented that uh, decision to have a play-in tournament. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's totally factored in, especially too like um, when you're just talking about I, I think that there's been more of a willingness from teams to be competent. Um, and I do wonder if that's going to change. But I think you've seen more teams willing to buy in and say and I think like some people might take that and, and think, well, oh, they're they're willing to just be mid. And that's that's not what I mean. I think it's more OK. There's more willingness to take the step to be a team that's competitive because of what it could maybe open up for you a year or two down the road because it feels more beneficial to do that now instead of just being a team like, okay, even if we are really competitive, let's say some things don't go our way, we end up the 10 seed and we get nothing out of it. Um, Now, like, okay, if you're like the Wolves last year, awesome. Like you end up making the playoffs and then you build off of it. And, you know, we've, we've talked on here about what it's like this year. I think again, like that's, that's a multi-year thing, but point being like, I don't that they're not taking that next step without the without the plan last year, most likely. So um, I think, yeah, that's that's what I feel has been the biggest difference for sure. Okay, Uh, do you have anything else to say about this? Like, I I think it's good for the league in general. Like I, I I almost tweeted that I don't want to say derisively last night. It certainly wasn't that because I, I didn't mean it in any sort of way. But like, I, I guess I kind of took like a stray shot at college basketball <laughs> within that because uh, I hate the way people talk about college basketball, um, especially like some writers. Like, I think that the older age of national college basketball writers have kind of warped the narrative of the way we should think about basketball. But like, I also think that it's beneficial for the league in general to have more fans engaged for a longer period of time. Like this is a win for the NBA right now to have this many teams think that they have a shot. Yeah. And I think the only thing I'd want to close out on too, just because I feel like I've seen this sentiment a lot lately. Um, I, even when guys are out, um, I've never really felt that there's necessarily a dip in, uh, in effort. Like I think that, that's you know just been a common trope that guys you know quote unquote don't play hard during the regular season and I've just never felt that to be honest like there are some stretches that towards the end of the year where that happens um when teams are you know they're running out and it's less it's actually less when they run out their G League squad than when they're playing their starters still um 
like, yeah, it happens, but I think it gets way overemphasized in my opinion. Like, yes, it sucks when, when guys sit, but also we know what this is. Like, I think things have changed a ton in sports and exercise science. I was talking to uh, a a really good strength and conditioning coach uh, last week, actually about rest and conditioning and how all of this is starting to factor in now. And I think it's just, I get really frustrated with the way that it can be talked about. I, I get frustration about guys sitting, but also it, it, there's obviously levels to it. Like the stuff with Kawhi is different, but also we don't know his injury fully. Um, there's a lot more of management that goes into that than just that. There's a lot more going on than just games being played that lead into games being played. Um, so I just, I'd rather just enjoy the basketball than bitch about it is the best way to put it. Yeah. Players play hard. Like if you are on the court, you're probably playing hard. Like I'm not going to say it's universal, but I I would say 90 plus percent of players, if they are playing in a game that night, they are playing hard. It's more, you know, does a guy get hurt? Does the team decide to shut a guy down? Front offices tank, players don't tank. That's an important, I think, equivalency to make. Um, Okay. Let's jump in to the biggest news of the day, which is that Anthony Davis is going to miss about a month, it seems like, per Shams Sharania. Chris Haynes is saying that it's indefinite. Shams is saying, I guess, at least a month, right? Yeah. So this this is bad news. (laughs) It's very bad news. Um, I mean, first and foremost, this just sucks. uh, It sucks. for, For AD. Like, I... Not to get out of my soapbox, but I just hate the way that Anthony Davis gets talked about. Like, I understand some of the ill sentiments for how he left New Orleans. I'm not a New Orleans fan. I didn't live there. I I didn't keep up with every single thing that happened. I think that it could have been handled better for sure. But also, like, the last three years for Anthony Davis have just been a really wild ride to witness as somebody covering the league. I think last year I wrote, like, just the column about, like, being uh, cognizant of – how 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 incredible he's playing in the moment like because last year i mean we this this time last year we're talking about anthony davis as like a top 40 player like is he going yeah. to ever get back to to playing at that level and i think there's it, it tends to be like I, so much gets brought in with him quote unquote settling and i think there is a degree of that that's factored in with this game but overall it's like the dude has had crazy nagging foot back knee injuries pretty much since he got to New Orleans. Um, And it was awesome to see him have this run to begin the year. I'm just really hopeful that he's able to, to rehab and get healthy and get back to that. Because frankly, what, what makes me think more so like what, like I was talking about earlier, I just want to appreciate the game because he might never play like that again. Like, I don't mean to just come out and be like negative, but it just, I think again, like injuries suck. We don't have as, as much as science and, uh, rehabilitation and um, ability to just rehab a body have, have really improved. Um, we still don't really have that much control over that stuff. So again, I just think I, I hope for him that, that he's going to be okay um, and can get better from this and get back to his highest level of play for the Lakers. I mean, that just, this, this, uh, it, it, it begs the question automatically, like, okay, either are you making a trade now to, to salvage what you can and keep this thing afloat until he gets back and you bank on AD being that guy, or do you just hit hit some kind of button right now? Because they very much cannot just stay the way they are, in my opinion. Even with AD playing at this level, they've had some issues playing as some of the top teams in the league. 
Um, they, even though they've been, again, like they've been better. I think they're nine and six over their last 15. But again, like you can poke some holes in that resume. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do with this. Uh, where are you leaning on it? So before, before I get there, I want to talk a little bit about just Anthony Davis in general and what he's brought to the Lakers. So yeah. A, first and foremost, this injury sucks. And it was a bizarre injury. Like, I'm sure you've watched the, like, how it happened. Right, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still can't quite figure that out. Like, he didn't land on you. Like, so for people who didn't see it, he drives and like tries to turn the corner on Jokic and goes for like a shot, like underneath the basket. And I don't know if he like flexed on the right foot incorrectly. He didn't land poorly on Jokic's foot. He actually landed on his left foot. So like it had to have happened almost whenever he went up for the shot and like kind of drove off of the right foot. It was a very weird injury. Didn't you get that impression? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It felt very awkward in watching it. Yeah, like I, I don't really know what I, I was surprised, I guess, by the how how bad the injury seems to be. So you look at that aspect of it, and that sucks because it's just like a random injury. The Lakers without Anthony Davis this year have been very bad. Um, first and foremost, Anthony Davis has been one of the ten best players in the NBA this year. I think you can make a case he's been one of the six or seven best. He's averaging twenty seven points per game. Uh, 12 rebounds, 2.6 assists, uh, 2.1 blocks, 1.3 steals, shooting 59% from the field and 82% from the line on eight attempts per game from the line. Uh, Anthony Davis has been absolutely incredible. He's been carrying the Lakers this year. Like, all due respect to LeBron, AD has been the guy, and he has been the guy that LeBron envisioned when they acquired Anthony Davis as someone that he could lean on and could move into being the Lakers best player, Uh, particularly over the course of that run before the injury uh, of, I would say 13 games, Anthony Davis over his last 13 games has averaged 32 points, 14 rebounds, 2.3 blocks shooting 64% from the field. I actually think Anthony Davis had been the best player in the NBA over the course of the last like month. I I think there is a very real case to be made about that. And I think that if you look at the numbers, I I really, really think that like uh, you would be hard pressed to find someone who's been better and you would be hard pressed to find someone who's been more important to his team making a run like this than Anthony Davis has been given his efforts on both ends of the court. I'll do respect to Giannis. I'll do respect to Kevin Durant, who we're going to talk about later, who's also playing at an MVP level. Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis has been great with in without Anthony Davis numbers are where we're going to start to get into some issues. So with Anthony Davis on the court, the Lakers are plus 1.5. All of these numbers are going to come via Daryl Blackport's play-by-play stats website. Um, with Anthony Davis off the court, do you know what the Lakers are this year, Mark? Negative uh, 1 million. It's not good. I know it's really bad. Yeah. Neg- negative 6 per 100 possessions. And, and this is not a situation where, like, you know – tying LeBron to Anthony Davis and like, you know, all those minutes without Anthony Davis or minutes where LeBron is also on the court or off the court. Right. Uh, with LeBron on the court with AD, 
the Lakers are plus 2.2 per 100 possessions. With LeBron on the court and Anthony Davis off the court, they're still minus 4.6, like a little bit better than minus six, but still really, really bad. With Anthony Davis off the court, they shoot worse from three, which is a significant problem given the lack of spacing on this team already. And I think a big part of that is that Anthony Davis is just drawing so, so much attention to himself. Mm -hmm. They assist 8%. They get 8% more of their threes assisted when Anthony Davis is on the court. And I think that, you know, while we talk about Anthony Davis maybe not being the best passer in the world, again, he just draws so much attention that if he can make just that singular kick out and then you can reverse it up it really really helps the flow of the offense the other big number here they take 39 percent of their shots at the basket when anthony davis is on the court they only take 32 percent of their shots at the basket when he's off the court so they're just taking much more difficult shots with anthony davis off the court their offense is really slowed down and stagnated i think and this is before we talk about the defense where anthony davis has been phenomenal again this year so like this is a real problem i say all of this to say the incredibly obvious statement this is a real problem for the lakers and i think it's just worth contextualizing how good anthony davis has been this year and how much of a problem it is for la mm-hmm. no definitely um 100%. I mean, this is, like you mentioned, I think this is, this, this is, this is easily his best offensive stretch since the bubble. Um, yeah. And I would almost argue it's been better in some stretches. Like the jumper hasn't been there nearly the same, like, but he's also just decided to mostly stop taking threes for the best. He's taking a lot less of the pull-up twos because he's got a career high on what he's doing inside the arc and, and just attacking around the rim. He's been so much better at getting deeper seals and, They've done a better job finding him deeper as well, which has been instrumental. Like he's shooting above 60% on twos. Um, it's just been really good basketball for him. But then you mentioned the defense. Like I I haven't like done like a full ballot in my head, but he would be top two or three for defensive player of the year, if not defensive player of the year outright. He's been incredible on that in this season. Um, and that's holding up what has been a pretty subpar defensive roster. Like LeBron has not been good defensively this year, point blank. Um, I think it's upticked a little bit recently, but for most of the start of the year, it's been pretty poor. Um, and overall, like this team is undersized. They don't really have anybody I would classify as a guy who's really a, a stopper for you on the perimeter. Like Lonnie Walker can do some fine things on the ball. Um, Troy Brown's a little bit slow footed. He's a more of an off ball player. Like it's just there for the most part, this has been scheme entirely built around Anthony Davis <laughs> being able to protect the rim and be incredibly active. Like his reaction time has been unreal. Uh, his ability to just disrupt things has been tremendous. And they're still only 13th in defensive rating right now. Like that. And that's not, again, that's less detriment to, to AD more. Just that's where you're at with the Lakers. And that leads into talking about, okay, well, what does this, what do you do with this? Like, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do with this. Um, like obviously they have more on the injury prognosis than we do, but if he's really out for a month, like that is catastrophic to them actually making the playoffs. So, I mean, this is just their upcoming schedule right now. They play Washington tonight. They play Phoenix tomorrow, Sacramento, Charlotte. So, I mean, that's two wins. Maybe if Washington is so hit or miss, you never know. Then they play Dallas, Orlando, Miami. Like I, I mean, like we talked about, like there's not really just guaranteed wins. 
in, in how we're looking at things. Like Orlando's now won six straight because they've kind of figured some things out. They're healthy again. Powell was unreal tonight. Like, I don't know. This could get – record could look really rough really quick because – and this is – again, it's difficult because the expectations for somebody in their 19th, 20th year are hard to have. But, like, LeBron has straight up not been a top five player this year for the first time in my lifetime that I can think of. Like, he's yeah. been incredibly jump shot reliant. I don't know if that's just based on decision-making or inability to get downhill. I'm waiting to reserve judgment on that until – we see that he just can't do it instead of it's just him not doing it because it's early in the year. But a large part of why they've played better recently in their offensive matter is because he shot way better from three. And I don't really think LeBron is a 40% three point shooter for, for, you know, from here on out. And that's when you factor in how little he's getting to the rim compared to what he has been, what his actual numbers are at the rim compared to what they have been. Um, it's just not the same. Like it, He's still very, very freaking good, but it's just again, like it's it's a it's a weird thing to talk about because you're talking about like it, it sounds so arbitrary, but it's it's just I don't know, man. I this Lakers team is one that I have uh, I've really struggled with this year. So LeBron over his last like three thousand three pointers has been a thirty six percent three point shooter. He's currently at thirty one point four percent this season LeBron actually is shooting a lower percentage from the field than any season in his career since 20 or since 2007 yeah which is a long time and I think it goes to show just how little pressure he's kind of putting on the rim his overall true shooting percentage typically he is right in that like 60 range again basically since 2010 he's been a 60.7 true shooting percentage guy right now it's at 55.8 that's actually below league average which is just staggering for lebron james like this is this is a real thing where yeah lebron is averaging what like 26 8 and 7 or something um yeah 27 9 and 6 so far this year but there have been real signs of drop off from LeBron and that's a problem for this Lakers team now without Anthony Davis. Now the question is, what do they do? <laughs> Lakers fans are right. not going to be happy with this answer. I think you wait. I think you got to wait two weeks. I think you have to like wait until January 5th and see where this thing is going if they go out and lose, like, you know, if they lose nine of their next 10 games or, you know, seven of their next eight games or something, there's almost no move you can make that matters, right? Just, just period. Like, it, it's almost like not worth it to make a move at that stage. So I think you have to wait two weeks here and see if they're going to, like, continue to fight. Because the one thing that, I will say about this Lakers team, they have fought their ass off. Like every night, this team battles. They scratch, they claw, they try to figure out a way to make it work. Guys like Austin Reeves, guys like LeBron, frankly, other than, you know, some of the defensive lapses that you see from time to time that you have to deal with because he's almost 40 years old. Um, guys like, uh, you know, Lonnie Walker, like, these guys are scratching and clawing 
They're scratching and they're fighting and they're trying to win every single night. And every Lakers game is exciting in some way or another, right? It feels like a 20-point lead is never too good for the Lakers. It feels like a 20-point deficit is never like far enough out for the Lakers to be out of it right now because they'll just turn it on. And when they ramp up the defensive pressure and they start getting their offense flowing to a heavy extent, things really seem to work. So this is a fucking boring answer, but like I think they have to wait two weeks. If they go 500 in these next two weeks, then I think you make a move and I think you actually try to add. I genuinely think that you try to add like real talent to this roster because I think the people on the roster, the players deserve a chance to win, but they need to prove it over the next like two weeks or so here that they can make it work. Yeah. I I think I'm in the same boat because you can't really just do a knee jerk thing to this. Um, Because in some ways I actually think that it could be more damaging to do that because then you have to work new guys in. It takes time. Um, It might not click right away. But also, I think it's just so much at the point like they just need better rotation players to make it make sense in the starting lineup. Like yes. they, they're starting like two guys who just like I think Lonnie has actually been good as a starter this year. He fits what they do. Um, he has been legit as a movement shooter, uh, and he's so good for them in transition, which has been been massive. But again, like it's like okay, you're starting Pat Bev at this stage. I I, I can't get there. Um, he's been better lately. Dennis Schroeder. Like, Dennis yeah. Schroeder is not it at this point in, the, like, his stage of his career. But you look at what this Lakers team has done recently. They beat the Nuggets at home in that game where Anthony Davis got hurt. They go to overtime with the Celtics. They beat the Pistons. They go to overtime on the road with the 76ers. And then, additionally, within the last few weeks, they've beaten the Blazers. They've beaten the Bucks. They won on the road against the Wizards. Like, They've they've earned the right to try to compete, and it's shitty that we're now in this position where Anthony Davis is going to be out for a month, and they almost have to earn it again. It feels yeah. like, but like if I, just being real, like if I was Rob Blinka and I was running the front office, like I would need to see, like if they're going to go out and drop like seven of their next eight games, it um, again, like it almost doesn't matter. And I, I don't know if there's a move you can make right now that replaces Anthony Davis. Like you go out and you get Miles Turner and Buddy Heald and you're starting LeBron James, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Austin Reeves, and you know, whoever the fuck, right? Like Lonnie Walker, let's say. Um, it almost, you're still not competing on a nightly basis, I think in the West with how good the West is this year, especially with this road trip coming up. So like, it's hard. It's a really, really hard situation the Lakers are in now. I think they have to be patient. But if at the end of these two weeks, you go out and you canvass the league, you find deals that are available within these two weeks here. And if this team is still hovering around 500 at that point, that's when I think you go and do it. Yeah. And I, I'm in favor of it. Like if this team is around 500 in two or three weeks, I actually think they should go do something. Like this team will have earned the right to show what they can do in the playoffs at that point. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I just want—I definitely want to see how it plays out because, uh, yeah, it's like—I mean, like like we just talked about. I think if this is a couple years ago, then no, we're not having this conversation. Uh, Even last year, probably not. But I think uh, this year, have to. 
Yeah. I think this is a good Lakers team. Like I, I will just say it like over the when Anthony Davis is at this level, they're a good team that there. I don't think any team, if they would go out and make a move to get like competent yeah. rotation players, like if they could go out and get Eric Gordon and a big or something like that, I don't think anyone would want to play them in the playoffs. Like, am I crazy yeah. for that? No, I don't think that you're crazy. I think I would probably, I, I could not get to good right now. I think that they're fine. It, But I think like, I mean, it's like we, we have the entire preamble about AD because of the limitations of the roster right now. Like yeah. they're doing a, a decent enough job to get the most out of it. But again, I think it's just, I mean, they needed to almost go to overtime to play the Pistons. And part of that is like Bojan Bogdanovic was unconscious in that game. But again, like I think if this is a good team, they're finding ways to blow teams out. I really haven't felt that from them this year. Um, I think, again, like there's the foundation of of better stuff. But yeah, ultimately, um, TBD. So, yeah. Um, Okay, let's take a quick commercial break. And then we will get back and talk about the surging Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant, who's been playing at an MVP level. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. 
All right, Mark, we're back. We're going to talk Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets because I felt like that last segment and the segment beforehand were segments where I talked a lot. I'm just going to give you the floor to start on the Brooklyn Nets. Tell me about what you have liked, what you've seen from this team. So the Brooklyn Nets are 9-1 and one in their last 10, um, and there's a lot of good stuff going on here. Um, I think the biggest thing is just the defense. The defense has been really good from them. Uh, they've completely ramped up their intensity. Like, I mean, obviously earlier in the year when they had all the off-court stuff going on, they were not playing all that bought in. They didn't look they didn't look like super engaged for the most part. Um, it's been different now. Uh, they're it's kind of it, obviously not the same thing. Somewhat different principles, but they're doing a lot of what Boston did last year. Just uh, switching everything pretty aggressively, but they've done a really good job of scrambling their smalls out. Um, Nick Claxton, I think, has been fantastic all year, and he's been huge here. Like his rim protection really has just taken such a massive step this year uh, in terms of actually being able to be a primary rim protector. The the weak side stuff has always been there, but I think he's really started to hone that in and become a very very good player while also having the, the awesome switch capabilities. Like. His growth over the years has just been really fun to watch. I think he's added a little bit more off the bounce, some more fluidity as a driver, a little bit to uh, – he's still working out, you know, um, short roll stuff. I think that started to come a little bit last year. But point being, like, he's 23 years old. I'm really loving what he's bringing. Um, can, I, can I stop you there? Because yeah. I think that that's almost the most, like, intriguing part of this for the Nets, right? Yeah. So defensively, when Steve Nash was the coach – you know, up until November 1st, they were giving up 120.4 points per 100 possessions. The thing is, though, that like it was basically just teams shooting the hell out of it from three. Like that that was the th- like the whole problem. I actually think Claxton has been pretty good. I think Kevin Durant's been really good as a weak side rim protector. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ben has been pretty good, you know, rotating over from the weak side when he has to defensively, even though his job is more, you know, kind of point of attack wing related. The sneaky thing is that like their opponent shot quality, according to, you know, play by play stats was basically like 0.53, which is actually the same that it is now under Jacques Vaughn, like the shot quality was basically the same because they were so good protecting the rim, which in large part is a credit to Nick Claxton and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. The problem for them early in the season was just like spraying kickouts all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just way too easy for teams to get wide open threes. And that was the biggest part of the problem, right? Um, They've really cleaned that up. I think that's what they've cleaned up more than anything. Yeah. They've been better and smarter rotationally. I think that they've just been more locked in to what they have to do to win basketball games. Uh, and I think that's the part that stood out most for me. It's just like being more cognizant rotationally, closing out hard on shooters, shutting off the tap of the three-point line just a little bit more than they did early in the season. Definitely. And like you mentioned too, I think Ben, he still isn't, you know, back to his old self, but I think he's looked a lot better um, over the last couple of weeks in terms of just getting his mobility. I think aggression on offense and on defense too has been better. It's again, still not perfect, but I think in terms of what we were seeing early on in the year, um, I've been happy with what, what I've seen from him just based on what he's coming back from. Um, 
And then, like, again, overall, like, I think that just top to bottom, I think the defense has been really good. I've loved what their role players are bringing. Like, Yuta Watanabe has been really good for them. When the shot is falling for him from outside, like, he's just a good plug-and-play rotation player. The second the shot disappears, yep. we're having a different different story. But, like, he's played a huge part in this run recently. Like, even just look at the, at the Toronto game. Um, he was so active defensively. The, the corner three late, that ended up putting them up. Um, Edmund Sumner has played really well for them, just as a secondary ball handler, really aggressive defender. Uh, TJ Warren is back, and that is probably what I'm most excited about for this team, just in what it brings lineup versatility wise. Like yeah. you, I, I think like I'm about to get to something that is bad, but real quick, Mark. Yeah, you saying the thing I'm most excited about with the Brooklyn Nets right now is TJ Warren. Of course, is it's very on brand. The most on brand Mark Schindler take I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's, uh, uh, yes, exactly. But also, like, I, he's not fully back to who I think he can be defensively. Um, but it's just think, like, especially with how they're playing right now, like, they'll ice ball screens on the side and they switch a lot. So having a guy who's six foot eight that can move his feet decently, use his wingspan, and stay in front of somebody, that's monstrous to what they have already. Yeah. Um, so I've loved that. But it's more so offensively, like, okay, well, you're kicking the ball out to one of the best finishers in the league in the last five years off the bounce. Like he's so good attacking gaps. Like, obviously I think the three needs to get there for him. I actually want him to hunt his three a little bit more, which is, I mean, that's always been a thing with TJ except for the one year in Indiana. Um, But he's just been really aggressive, you know, cutting into the paint, taking one or two steps and hitting a really good floater or a quick one, two pull up. Like, those are things that he's just efficient enough on that it it counts. And he's really good cutting baseline, like everything. One of the things I've loved too, uh, they're like with him, any other guys who have been suspect as shooters, they're using them the second that they come off of an action uh, and they don't have an open shot. They're just running a quick reversal in, in an empty corner. So like he'll run a DHO for whatever shooter station. They've been really good with their shooting alignment. Um when you consider how limited the roster is spacing wise, they've done a really good job of having, okay, well, Ben or Royce will bring up the ball and initiate sets and have Kevin or, or Kyrie coming off the ball first off of a screen. So that way, like, okay, if you have a guy who can get downhill and make decisions, even if they're not the best at scoring in the paint, you force them to get guarded because you don't want any rotations happening towards the middle of the floor. So it's just, they've been doing smart little things to make the offense flow better. I don't really think that this is like this is a top ten offense because of Kyrie and, and Katie's shot making and some of the ancillary guys, but I do have like obviously bigger playoff questions when you can sag off of like somebody like Ben or or even Royce because I'd be very willing to just say okay, fuck you, make shots like that's what the what the Suns did to Jay Crowder last year. I think you can very much do the same thing to Royce with what his finishing's been. Um, but again, point being, that's not to diminish everything. It's more like this is good process stuff. I really have liked what they're starting to do. Um, and it feels replicable and more so like, like Kyrie's been really good. The contested shot making is awesome. He's always been a fantastic off, off movement shooter and, and just off screen player. But then KD's just been unreal. And that's what we're here to talk about. Like his last month, of basketball, I would, so me over the last 10 games, I think KD's been the best player in basketball. Um, like you mentioned, not a bad I, thing. Like yeah. I, I would, he's been right there with Anthony Davis. Yeah, like it's, it's I, like you can you can split hairs for sure, but it's like 
Um, he's doing much of the same of what he did last year before that run uh, to the playoffs, you know, when he came off of injury and his passing was like the best that we've ever seen it mainly because they yeah. needed it to be. It's still the accuracy can be all over the place from time to time, but like the vision has been really good. Um, and he's getting two to two, three to the ball routinely. I think that you can look at him and be like, well, there has been some issues with term- turnovers and I'll be like, okay, well, He's getting nail help every time he drives. There's nobody worried about slot shooters. Like the spacing, again, yeah. they are scoring in spite, not because of what the offense is doing. Um, again, the contested shot making has been unreal. The driving ability has been really good. What he's done opening up others has been fantastic. The defense has been really good. I think his defense has been really damn good all year. Even yeah, when, I agree. even when, I actually uh, agree. yeah, even like I never have felt that, that KD was just shipping out a performance i can't say the same about Kyrie, but um kd has been there the entire year like he's been working his ass off i actually i don't know if he would make it an all defense team for me right now but he would be on the nomination list um in terms of cutting it down um yeah like if i get to like 30 names to like cut down to 10 eventually like that would be it you know like he would be on it like unequivocally and then like we'd i'd figure it out and parse from there but like 100%. 100%. He's been awesome defensively. Like, there's just no no other way about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's just been – he's been impressed with the watch, man. And, again, like I mentioned, the con- the contested stuff has been unreal. So much of his work is coming from inside the paint. Like, I think he's only shooting four threes a game over his last ten. Um, I'm looking up the number right now, but, like, he's just been on another planet right now. Like, and when you're talking about the, the diet of shots that he's hitting and doing so, so well hitting it that it's just, like – you can't really do anything about it. Like his, I mean, we know it's the stuff that we know about, like his release points insane. Um, he's so good at attacking advantages when, as soon as they appear, like, and he, he's really good off the ball too. I feel like that almost goes underrated because of um, how fantastic of an isolation scorer he is, but his ability to move without the ball and just yeah. find easy buckets without really needing to even get touches is, is always well, really it, impressive to me. It's more than for himself. Yeah. He is really, really good at drawing defenders toward himself to open up like cutting lanes for Ben Simmons or to open up like, you know, a defender has to come to him, you know, if he flashes into the middle and Joe Harris gets open on the opposite wing, right? Mm-hmm. Or like Joe Harris gets open to cut to the rim because KD is moving without the ball and you have to pay so much attention to Kevin Durant. I think it's worth just like noticing how unbelievable Kevin Durant shooting splits are right now. So like KD as a whole is shooting 56% from the field. He has taken only, he's taken under three shots at the rim per game. <laughs> like yeah. that's bonkers. He's shooting 56% from the field, taking under three shots at the rim per game. If you look at his shooting splits right now, Kevin Durant from Three to 10 feet is shooting 59%. From 10 to 16 feet, do you know what Kevin Durant is shooting this year, Mark? Like a million percent. 62%. It's pretty good. He's basically shooting like, you know, a normal wing percentage at the rim from 10 to 16 feet away from the rim. It's yeah. absolutely bonkers. I mean, yeah, oh, in, in the- December. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, by the way, he's shooting 50.5% from 16 to 23 feet in the mid-range. Yeah, it's it's unreal. I mean, like, yeah, in December, so it's it's only six games, but still, it's five five and one in December. 
28 points per game on almost 69% true shooting. It was very nice. Uh, but then also like doing all the stuff we talked about as a playmaker, like he, the efficiency is just kind of unreal. Like, I just don't know how, how you're supposed to guard it. It's, and like, like, I mean, the, See, I, like, I almost that, that's feel like what you said earlier, like, you don't think that like this translates to the playoffs. I'm almost well, just I, like I don't know how you stop this. We'll see because what's difficult is I just obviously he did not have a good series against the Celtics to be fair. But what's difficult for me is I feel like you get the same thing. Like I think that the whole thing for me is because like I mentioned, and this is not to nitpick at Kevin at all. Kevin is unreal. Like I I like I just said I think he's been the best player in basketball for the last couple of weeks. Like. I think the biggest thing is you don't double team him, but you have uh, kind of like what the Celtics, not right now, but what they used to do under Brad Stevens to post players. Like they used to always neutralize the Monis Sabonis by not sending help. They would have yeah. help in gaps, but they wouldn't actually send to. It's what the Celtics did to KD last year in the playoffs. And granted, I think he makes more shots this time around, but he really struggled with that. And again, that's more so because of who else was on the court, but yeah. It's not that different from last year. Like, I, again, like I think if TJ Warren is healthy, but I also just – you can't bake in TJ Warren being healthy. Like, I would like to. I think that's a conversation we can have if this is the same in four months. But um, I just – I still have real questions about this team at the at the highest level. But, um, th- but that's well noting too. Like, okay, you're dedicating three guys at all times to guarding Kevin Durant a certain way. That's how good he's playing right now. That's like the only way you can you're, – you're not even stopping him. You're just hoping to stop him or hoping to make it difficult. And that speaks to how incredible he's been. So the Brooklyn Nets got swept last year in four games by the Boston Celtics, right? Like, that happened. Yeah. Do you know what the Brooklyn Nets offensive rating was in those four games? Not good. I know it was bad. <laughs> no, it was elite. It was oh, 115. Really? Yeah. Wow. Forgot about that. They were actually fine offensively in that series. Like that's the thing that like it, it was the defense that was an abomination. Like they couldn't defend anyone. Everyone talks about how well they did on Kevin Durant, and they did. And Kevin had probably his like worst few games in the playoffs, right? Like Kevin Durant shot thirty eight percent in those playoff games and averaged twenty six points per game. Uh, that was the lowest since his rookie season or no, maybe his second season when they made the playoffs uh, in Oklahoma city. And, you know, certainly the worst he shot since that season in the playoffs. He also but just had offense, 26 points in a quarter against the, the, the Pistons right now. I just saw that. Yeah. He is, he is 41 on like 22 shots. He's incredible. Yeah. But like, while Kevin Durant, it worked like it worked on Kevin Durant. I don't think you can say that the Celtics, defended well in that series and the whole idea with what Brooklyn is trying to do now is make a more cogent defensive structure that makes sense right having Ben Simmons play going out and acquiring Royce O'Neal having Yuta Watanabe is like a good flexible bench defensive option to bring off the court um Nick Claxton being more capable as an anchor that you can play real minutes in a playoff series hopefully yeah, I, I do still worry about the free throws because I think he's shooting what forty four percent from. And I, I, I'm sorry, I, do I don't, too. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm, I'm backtracking right a little bit. Mark. Like, <laughs> like, like I um, think, I think that this team is it's definitely better than it was last year. And they, by virtue of not, you know, struggling as much to to start the well, 
but you know, not being 500 40 games in presumably um, they're going to have a higher seed, which will help them to not play the Celtics in the first round, most likely. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like I, I didn't mean to be overly harsh, but I think, yeah, there, I do still have a lot of questions. I do too. But I guess my point is like, if they score 115 points per hundred possessions again in the playoffs, they're going to win that series. I think like th- with the way, the way their defense is playing now, I think that they are okay to win that series. Now, like, we'll see if that works. But that, that's why I say, like, are we sure that what Kevin is doing right now is not sustainable, I guess? Like, when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie, who are just these gravitational forces of shot-making and offense, it opens up so, so, so much more for everyone else to make it work, even if you're getting that kind of defensive attention. So, like... Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying like, I I don't mean to like be an apologist for Kevin Durant here in terms of like what happened last year in the playoffs with Boston. I just mean like he didn't play well. I think he would say he didn't play well, but like in terms of it being sustainable in terms of it, like projecting out to maybe working long-term, I don't know, man. Like I, I think that, I think there's a real chance that this works in the playoffs. And that leads me to my next question here. Like, Look, MVP race, MVP ladder, a third of the way into the season is a fool's errand. We still have two-thirds of the way to go. Kevin Durant needs to be a top-five MVP candidate, like, right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what the odds are. I don't know what the – I'll look up sportsbook as we uh, – look up a sportsbook as we're talking. But, like, this is a real MVP candidate just straight up right now. I, I don't think that you can – come up with any other any other thought like he he is a very very real mvp candidate that i would not be surprised to see win the award and currently this is fucking crazy um i'm looking at points bet right now kevin duran is 25 to 1 to win mvp that feels very low i don't understand betting well but that feels extremely low yeah, so so here are the odds. Um, I'll, I'll get up BetMGM as well as the uh, sportsbook partner of The Athletic. Jason Tatum is the favorite. Yasin Tedekumpo, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, Stephen Curry, Zion Williamson are all ahead of Kevin Durant right now for MVP. I think – do you want my unofficial MVP ballot right now? Because I actually – I did this yesterday, so I thought it through. Be Steph – Give, give me give me one second here. Oh, yeah, I just yeah. want to read out MVP gotcha. from BetMGM. Um, BetMGM's MVP race, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, Zion Williamson, Stephen Curry, Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, all 30 to 1 or better for MVP. At BetMGM, Kevin Durant is 35 to 1 to an MVP. That is insane. That, that is insane. That is a bad line. I, I am just straight up saying it. That is a bad line. This team is in fourth place in the East right now because he's carrying them on his back. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. No, I agree. It is kind of wild. I Like, I couldn't have him lower than third right now. I know he's the top five, but for me, I couldn't go lower than third. I would be, for me, probably Steph, KD, Tatum, Giannis, and then I guess Luca. I just – Luca's been awesome, but I just can't with the Mavs. But – um 
I, yeah, I would not have Luca. Probably, probably Zion. Right now. I would have Zion. It would be yeah. Zion or Luca five, five, six. But like, yeah. I mean, the point being, like, Katie's just been amazing this year. I, I think I would have in some order Tatum, Giannis, Kevin Durant. <sighs> um, probably Booker, and then. One of Steph, A.D., Zion, I think. I, I think would have, would just have more like in the top 10. Yeah, I, I agree. Now. I think yeah. for me, just like because Steph, like, I mean, this is like that's what sucks about Steph being out now. Like this has been the best season of his career. Like if you're just looking at it statistically in the way that he's playing, it's been unreal. Like and I think obviously like I don't know. I always try and figure out how to factor in the actual win loss record to it because it's it makes it it's always murky that's what i hate about awards sometimes it makes it fun to talk about but i don't know just like his his year has been unreal like i mean he's 50 43 92 with 30 points seven boards seven assists like what how like and same thing i mean it's same thing with with katie this league's awesome i think it's the best way to put it you and i love basketball basketball's pretty great we got some good basketball going on this year yeah, but by the way, Stephen Curry uh, <laughs> in his 2016 year, uh, true shooting percentage plus of so like adjusted for league average, yeah, uh, 124. This year is at 116. Stephen Curry is still probably like top two or three in the league in terms of that number, if not like even higher um, among high volume players. And he is nowhere even in the ballpark of his 2016 year in comparison to league average. And like in comparison to like what the climate around the league was at that point, Stephen Curry is unbelievable. Um, Just an incredible human being uh, as a basketball player. I can't really wrap my head around or fathom how someone could be that good at something as he is at shooting. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Kevin Durant's a real MVP candidate and we need to start acting as such Look, they're up one right now against Detroit. You know, there's 28 seconds left in this game. We'll see what happens. But if they win, this team will be 19 and 12, like where he has been the driving. Like, here's the thing. It's so easy to create a narrative for Kevin Durant as MVP this year, right? Coaching change. The entire disaster that was Kyrie Irving for the first quarter of this season. Um, Roster that is questionable around him ben simmons still figuring things out in terms of getting back to his peak level effectiveness and here is this guy kevin durant that is just dominating and taking the league and somehow carrying the nets to a top four spot right now in the east how he's doing this is like almost unfathomable to me he's so good yeah i agree so yeah okay um next up mark schindler's prospect of the week Let's dive in. It's Keontae George time. Mark, the thing that stands out to me about Keontae George, and and I'll pull up his numbers as we're talking, but Keontae George currently is averaging 15.7 points, 4.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists, shooting 39.8% from the field, 32.9% from three, 86% from the line. Uh, Yeah, he's been interesting but the thing that stands out is the cadence with which he plays and like gets his shots like he almost gets shots 
in between cadence and in between steps. Like you don't expect the shot to go up when it goes up with Keontae. That's what makes him such a good creator, in my opinion. Do you is that what kind of stands out for you? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Obviously, he's not he's not this guy. He's not Brandon Roy, but it kind of reminds me of that. And that same like rising up in a way that you don't really expect. It's so sudden. Um and I think one of the things I'm playing with, because we talked about this a little bit before we got on, I uh, I am really high on Keontae. And part of that is because I've watched a ton of him in you know, the last two years from what he was doing at IMG, um, you know, playing with Team USA as well. Um, I I think I'm a lot higher on what he's done in Baylor than you are right now. And I think let's talk a little bit about Baylor, yeah. about Baylor context in general. How have you yeah. felt about Baylor as a team just to start the year? I think they're still searching for uh, searching for an identity almost is like what I would say. Like this is a team that I expected to have just like an elite backcourt. Um, I really like Adam Flagler. I, you know, LJ Cryer can certainly knock down shots at a really, really high level. Um, Keontae is a really high level creator, but like, it seems like they still haven't quite figured out the defensive side of the floor yet. And it feels, yeah. And it feels like they still haven't quite figured out the right, like mix of who is like initiating the offense when, and who is like figuring who's going to like be the primary creative force on the team. Almost. They have really struggled without having connective players. I think is my biggest issue for them right now. Um, Great call. I think that they were hoping Jalen Bridges was going to be that guy, and it hasn't worked out yet. Like, I think he's been fine. Um, Like, he does some quality things defensively. He can knock down some shots. Um, Hasn't shot all that well from three this year. I think that's going to change just based on track record. But um, I think that they were really hoping that there would be a little bit more from him as a a passer or just continuing plays. I don't think it's really been there. Um, They, this is it. Like, I think actually, Flo Flo, Flo Thama has been probably a little bit better for me offensively than I was expecting this year. Not that he's bad, but like, I think he's okay with power reversals and stuff. But again, like you mentioned, like, Cryer is very much so like, okay, ending plays. I don't, I don't think continuing plays is necessarily his his advantage. And it's really been Keontae and Flagler have been their two best ball movers. Like, again, Langston Love is still coming back from injury. I think there's potential with him there, but, um, yeah. The wing play overall has just been really up and down um, in terms of what it's really bringing. Um, I do have to say, though, just to speak on their bigs, Josh uh, Ojianwuna has been – I am excited about him, like just long-term. Yeah. Um, but he's been really fun for them, especially with Jonathan Chamo Joshua out. Um, Caleb Lohner has been fun. But, again, like it's just – it's a very odd mix of guards and bigs without really having wing players. So Keontae has been in a really weird spot for me in being like – I think it's been a little bit better recently um, in terms of just being more aggressive in, in, in attacking, but if it's felt like just based on how they want to do things, like they're using him a lot more like a wing than a guard at times. Like, I think that they'll let him, I mean, they obviously he runs things. It's not like he's not creating offense at all. So I'm not trying to, you know, overdo that, but I do think it has felt a little bit weird in that. Um, And that's not to like, say that that's an excuse for what his efficiency has been, but um, so that's been odd. Um, just the Baylor context in general. Um, just for well, they've been, they've been using Flagler as the lead, right? Yeah. Like that's it. Like Flagler shout been out the to, lead dude, guard. He's been his pretty good. Jump this year has been pretty fun. Like particularly as a creator, like he's always yeah. been one of the best shooters in college basketball. But the ability to initiate plays, to play make, to do everything like that has been really good. 
Yeah. Yeah. The passing has been awesome from him from what I expected it to be this year. Um, so what is your, what's your, maybe hangups are all I'm going to put it, but what is like the biggest thing with, for you with counter? And I'm assuming efficiency, right? It's definitely efficiency. It's efficiency for like quality of competition in some mm-hmm. way, right? Like you, you look at his numbers against tier A and B Ken Palm teams and, and all of these are tier A teams, which is to say like top 50 adjusted for home court advantage, right? His true shooting percentage against those teams is 47.6%. His turnover rate is 25.4% against those teams right now. And it, it just feels like it feels like he operates almost outside of the flow of their offense more than everyone else. And this isn't like I don't mean that as a criticism of him. I, I think it's more criticism of the team maybe um, Mm -hmm. still navigating what we said at the top here in terms of like trying to figure out its identity, trying to figure out how to run offense, trying to figure out a lot of different things, not having connective players. Right. Um, But it feels like he operates a bit more outside of the flow of like a typical Baylor team. Yeah. I think that's where it's tough for me because I agree. I think what like, I don't think that it's going to happen, especially with how Flagler's played. I think that they need to lean into more of him running things um, because especially in terms like not that Flagler can't create downhill penetration, but I think you're going to get more from Keontae with it. All of his stuff has been mostly attacking out of the slot or second side. Um, right. like, I, I just think like in terms of what like and he's a really like part of why I like him. He's a really good passer. I think he's like even if he's not the lead assist guy i think he's been probably in in terms of what he can create passing wise for them i think he's going to bring the most to the table well let's let's stop let's pause on the passing and talk about the pass that's fair because i I think it's really really interesting i think that when i think he has great vision i I think that like he sees the court exceptionally well Mm -hmm. i don't know that i would call him like a great playmaker well yeah great was probably too much like i'd call him a good playmaker passer but like um i I don't even know if i would go that far right now like i think he has that upside and i think he has that level of vision hmm. but like shot selection is a part of this right like he takes some very questionable difficult shots when he has teammates open so like i i don't it, it he's a hard he's hard he's really really hard i think Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think – I don't know. Maybe I'm painted by some of the games I watched. Like, I thought UCLA game was definitely – I mean, that's his worst game of the season. Oh, I, mean, I thought they did a really good job pressuring him overall, but he also forced it. Um, but, I I mean, I, I know 6 of 15 isn't amazing, but he got to the line a bunch. It was a lot of threes. I liked what he did in – in jeez, uh, in, can I speak? Uh, I really liked what he did against Virginia, especially if they tried to pressure him um, mm. with how aggressively they can play. Uh, like he's splitting double teams in that game with his handle. Uh, I felt he was pretty good in terms of, you know, fine. But he had a couple lobs in that game. Um, he's good hitting corners. Like, again, like there's stuff that needs to develop out more still for sure. But I think like you're mentioning too, I mean, like he's shooting really poorly on pull-up twos right now. Part of that, he, he doesn't take a million of them, but tie in that with his floater. And his floater has been fine, but not like it's, okay, you're 6'4", six, 6'5", six, like 200, 210 pounds, like, he's capable of getting downhill more. I think that's my biggest criticism right now. I think he's capable of getting to and finishing at the rim more than he has been. Um, 
getting like I'd like to see his free throw rate be higher than it has been in terms of just drawing contact and and being physical because again he's capable of it. Um, what? But again, what's weird? Like because like you mentioned in terms of um, how he's getting his shots. Well, let, let, let's pause on the Virginia yeah, game real that's quick. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with you. I didn't think he played well in that game. Wow. Okay. If you look at if you look at the way the game was played, that was a blowout after 30 minutes, right? He had nine of his 11 points after they got down 60 to 40 with like 10 minutes left in that game. And I felt like Virginia did a really, really good job of shutting him down for the first 30 minutes. And then Virginia's defense kind of lapsed a little bit late. Uh, after the game was basically over mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, I thought they let him get a little bit loose uh, in a way that doesn't happen all that often for Virginia. And that that's why he ended up with 20 points on 16 shots or whatever he did. But, like, early in that game, he was at, like, 11 points on, like, 14 shots, and then they got down 20, and then the defense eased up, and he kind of caught back on again that's fair i definitely view it a little bit differently i think that that is a fair point maybe i should consider that more um but i still really liked what he did in that game just process wise um and again like i think it's more so like the shots gotta fall for sure um i i don't know like i i i did like that game he had a couple turnovers i didn't love Mm -hmm. um but i still maybe i'm maybe i'm being too idealistic with it but i did like it overall what is so like going to the Marquette game? What yeah. is tough though is like because because I mean like we're talking about like he's not typically the guy who's bringing the ball up or initiating the offense. Marquette just absolutely hammered them from actually getting the ball into the half court, and I felt like once he did get the ball, he was doing really good things. Um, but again, I think that's part of why I'd like to see them actually just have him operate with the ball more, but. Um, I'm not trying to just overly simplify it, but I do think like that's part of what's been difficult is just where he's getting the ball, how it's happening. Um, it, it's not like, again, it's not perfect. Like I think I, I just have felt good overall about what he can do with the ball in his hands. Like the pull up three has been good for him shooting 35% on them right now. Um, on pretty high volume, excuse me, the catch and shoot stuff's been good. He's capable of doing it off movement. Um, I just want to see them lean into him a little bit more because I feel like he's still like like you mentioned. I think he's still leaning it, like trying to figure out um, his role on Baylor a little bit, as the whole team is. To be fair, too, um, because especially I mean, like when you look at his shot, like he's shooting thirty three percent. It's better than that, in my opinion, just based on on track record, on difficulty. I'm maybe that. I mean, maybe that weighs into it more because I'm pretty confident in him being a plus shooter. On I think he'll shoot. Yeah, I think he has real touch. Um, so, against Marquette again, <laughs> I want to bring up game situation. Uh, five points in the first half. They get down 20 again, and he had seven of his 12 points in that game after they were down 20 as well. Um, I get this impression that it's very – and this is where we need to talk about my biggest concern with him. He is ex- exceptionally creative – and he has that in-between cadence, right? He has that like, okay, I'm in between steps. I can still get on balance for a pull-up, right? That is just very difficult, very sudden. He has no first step. Like he's not really all that good as an athlete in terms of explosiveness, in terms of like rising up and finishing at a really high level. He's very long, 
it feels like he's very long at least do you get that impression yeah, he's long and he's really strong too. Um, very strong, can go through contact, can absorb contact on the perimeter when trying to like make moves, which I think is another really, really important thing for someone that does have limited explosiveness. But his explosiveness is pretty limited, I think. And he's going to have to live off of a very difficult diet of shots, I think, to make it work at the next level. He's capable of creating those shots and I think his touch is good enough to make them, but the diet of shots is going to be very difficult. I this this is making me want to rewatch stuff. I don't like I don't think that he's got amazing first step. I think a lot of it's because he's really good at attacking advantages as soon as they open and his handle is really good. Um, he's good at creating that advantage and getting a guy off balance, I think. Like yeah. his handle is very technically good. Yeah, I cuz I I just I don't know if I'd, I I feel just like slightly different about his first step. Like I, I again, I don't think that it's amazing, but I don't think that it's um, I, I I don't really have any athleticism concerns with him. Maybe I'm too again. Maybe I'm too married to high school tape. But like he was a good vertical athlete in high school. What he brought, like I, uh, man, this is. Well, okay. I, th- I think that like he can go up and dunk and like make plays, but like I don't think that that extends to first step. And honestly, like I don't think his like leaping is. I don't. I don't think he's like an above average leaper by NBA. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that he's above average. Yeah, like but just in terms yeah, of his size and like you mentioned the length. Like I think, I don't know. I'm just. I guess I'm just more confident on the in the efficiency improving because the efficiency hasn't even the issue hasn't necessarily even been anything around the rim. It's just been some of the the touch shots and the pull ups that have been really dragging him. Good question. I haven't looked up his rim efficiency recently. I think he's only. I think he's only dunked twice this year. Now that I think about it. Um, last time. Yeah. Like I, I don't feel like he's like really rising up all the time and like throwing down. Um, they play, you know, relatively quickly as well. So Mm -hmm. like you would think that he's going to get some transition opportunities, things like that. This year he's shooting 65% at the rim. His finishing package is quite good. It's just, when is he getting there? That's my thing. Like he's only gotten there, uh, 33 times so far in, nine games that they've played. So he's not really putting a ton of pressure on the rim either. He's living on a very difficult diet of shots. True. Okay. (laughs) I, man, this is, this is really making me want to rewatch stuff. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I I just haven't felt like he can't get there. It just feels like more like a decision in terms of the way that he's attacking, but I don't Wow. We, we are far apart in this one. It's interesting. We're not, that okay, we're a little bit far apart because I think you have them pretty high, and I have them. I, I think where we are right now, in terms of like the number of where we have him ranked, is probably not terribly far apart. Yeah, but I think that it has more to do with my questions about him. And, and like, look, I've spent a, quite a bit of time now, like questioning him. I think he is such an interesting creative playmaker. Like, I think his handle is so technically sound. Again, like I can't emphasize enough. That ability to get a variety of different looks, like off of different cadences, different footworks, different, you know, leaning. Like anytime he gets a defender just like leaning the wrong way, he can go up and shoot immediately. Mm-hmm. Like those are things that matter in the NBA. He's going to win on the margins at a significant level. I also like will note that. Typically with some college teams like the Kentucky, the classic Kentucky thing, right, is like you look back at Kentucky tape, Tyrese Maxey 
look fast, but like not overly fast at Kentucky because he was so wrapped into this like half court offensive game that had no spacing whatsoever. And it like really kind of diminished the amount that he was able to showcase his speed. Right. Uh, situation matters in that regard in college basketball. For sure. Baylor's pretty well spaced. Like, I don't think that's something you can point to. Like, that's a well-run offense. They have guys like LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler that you have to guard 28 feet from the basket, just straight up. Um, Teams have continued to guard Jalen Bridges. I wonder if that will change at some point, maybe. But, like, then they also have the vertical lob threat that is Thamba, who is not Jonathan Chamochachua, but, like, you at least have to stay honest on him and tag him as a defender, right? Like if you don't Flagler can hit that lob play. So like, I don't know. Like, I I think that he's not getting as much of an advantage going up to the NBA in terms of spacing as like, for instance, case and Wallace will coming out of that Kentucky scheme where he has no space to operate ever point blank because Jacob Toppins hunting for mid range jumpers. Oscar Shibway is just like camping out in the paint the entire time looking for offensive rebounds and post-ups like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like wildly worried about Keontae at all. Mm-hmm. I just think there are some real contextual things and tape things that have worried me a little bit in terms of efficiency. No, that's totally fair. Um, do you want to play the game where you make it really hard on me? <laughs> all right. Let's play the NBA draft board game okay. with Mark Schindler. NBA draft board game is a game that during this segment that is Mark Schindler's prospect of the week, I ask him, would you rather have this guy or that guy? And Mark has to make an on the fly decision. The worst uh, Mark part has of my started. Week. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst part of Mark's week. Cause Mark does not like having to pick one prospect over another. That's um, totally true. Okay. Keontae George or Bryce Sensabaugh. Oh, Keontae for sure. Okay. I agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, Kind of getting engaged for people. You go low, mm-hmm. you go high on sure. guys. Keontae George or Grady Dick? Keontae. Okay. I think I'm there. I Grady Dick's game against Indiana this weekend gave me some pause because it was the best that he had defended at this point in the season so far. Mm-hmm. And I mean, goodness, like he's made, I think he made like five threes in that game. His he had 20 been points. Fantastic. He was unbelievable. Grady Dick was unbelievable in that game. But I, I do have Keontae and Grady Dick in the same like tier right now. Um, Keontae George or Jarris Walker, who we talked about last week. Depends on the team, especially because Jarris just had the best game of his season. He was uh, terrific. He, he was, was so really good, good in that game. game. Um, I think it would depend on the team, but I'd probably lean Keontae most of the time. Yeah. Would depend on the team. I have them right next to each other. Yeah, I'd have them. Think, I'd have them both higher, but right next to each other. Yeah. Think I would lean Jarris. Okay, to be honest right now. Yeah. Um Just because of the de- here, here. So here, in the middle of this game, let's take a break. We haven't talked at all about Keontae defensively yet. Yeah. What have you thought of his defense? I he's been good. Um, I think think he's been pretty good. Yeah. I, that's, that's part of why I like him. Like, yeah, especially to like, cause he went from his junior year. He wasn't like, he didn't really play defense like that to this last year at IMG. Um, dude, his defense was so good. Um, like he's a dog at the point of attack. 
Um, yes. Really good at getting he, up into people, and he's good off the ball too. Like, and he's like he's. I've been pretty impressed with how well he's fit into no middle. They their no middle has been a mess overall, but the way that he's uh, fit in so far, I have been pretty impressed with. I don't think he is the like. I think he is their one perimeter defender that makes sense in a no middle scheme. Yeah, uh, I think Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer are too small to contain yeah. at the point of attack, and they struggle with it. Um, I think Keontae has been pretty good, and he's super physical. He's super strong. Yeah. That's another place where like the strength I think really plays up is he's able to like take a bump. From someone because he's guarding up a lot of the time. Yeah. Like he yeah, he's is guarding three a ton. So it's been yeah. bigger guys than him. I so, have a do you want to hear my biggest boomer take? Um while we're in the middle of this real quick. Watching the Virginia Baylor game, um, I, I'm surprised I didn't get more blasted on Twitter for this, but I, I tweeted out I was like, I have a I, I'm getting to the point where I kind of I, I get UVA now. I understand it. I understand the idea. Like I can kind of appreciate watching them play basketball. Obviously, they play differently now than they did five years ago. Yeah. But um, they picked apart Baylor. Oh my god! Like that. Like they did everything. They just kept sending drifting guys into the middle to 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 backscreen somebody so that it would fuck up the rotations. Like it was awesome stuff. It was like similarly to like when you did that thread on what Ohio State did to Texas Tech. Like yeah. it was pretty beautiful. Um, I love Ben Vanderplas. Just just had to get that out there. But yeah, all right, let's continue. That wasn't a boomer take. I was expecting worse. I was it, expecting it like, is kind of a boomer take when like I if I had told myself when I was 15 that I would like Virginia basketball or uh, enjoy watching Virginia basketball at some point, I would uh, I would scoff at myself. But here we are. Vir- Virginia basketball is, uh, you know, shout out. Shout out John Rothstein. Virginia basketball is a thing of beauty. Uh, I do genuinely very much enjoy it. Um, OK, back to the game. This is one where we're just going to flat disagree. Kaysen Wallace or Keontae George? Keontae. For me, yeah, I think Keontae. Is, I like Kaysen a this lot. Is, this just, is going to be in, this is a philosophy discussion that we're yeah. about to have more than a like evaluation discussion, I think. Mm-hmm. So why Keontae over Kaysen for you? Uh, just actually being able to create. Like, I know that I like, mm-hmm. I agree with you that Kaysen has looked more restricted because of what Kentucky's spacing is. I still just like I've seen Keontae actually be able to dribble through nail help. And I think that's mm-hmm. a big question for Kaysen. Um mm-hmm. so like just on that principle and what like I think Kaysen's actually they're probably on par as passers. Um I just don't know that he's ever gonna get to the same level of of creation or, and scoring that that Keontae brings. And I like him way better as a shooter than Kaysen. Um Oh I, wow. Oh okay, yeah. That's like so that's where the evaluation is different then. I think they're pretty close. Okay. W- way better was probably a little bit of a stretch, but like yeah. I think he's I would have him like a, a solid grade or tier above him as a shooter. Um interesting. And for what his archetype is cuz he's like he's bigger than Kaysen too by a decent amount. Um I would I, say he's probably an inch bigger and probably a few inches in terms of wingspan longer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that matters to me because I like because again, like especially like talking about, I mean, leagues playing a lot more three guard lineups, or is at least I should say more willing to play more three guard lineups. It matters, um, and obviously, like that's not like Kaysen could guard a tank, but um, yeah. offensively, so, I don't know. I just well, so here, 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 here's the thing that I like a little bit more about Kaysen than Keontae. Uh, it comes down to role scalability for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Kaysen, I think, translates better to being like a third or fourth best guy on a team than Keontae does. Keontae, I think, translates to being like a top three option on a team better than Kaysen does. Do you think either of these guys are that? Like on an NBA team or a top three player? Oh, I think I think Keontae is one of the guys in the draft with all-star upside. That's where I'm at with him right now. And I, I'm <laughs> yeah, assuming we, we are very different on that. I, um, I, so, like, I have a wide range of, like, very possible outcomes for Keontae. I don't, I don't think all-star is, like, out of the question for him, yeah. just in terms of his creativity. Um, I think it's a low-end outcome, like a low-percentage chance outcome. But if you... So that, that changes things in terms of this conversation. But if you're like me and you think that it's much more likely the case of Moss and Keontae George both end up being more like role player starter types. I would rather have Kaysen's archetype than that, Keontae's. That I would agree with. But I think okay, so I guess the difference for us is that I have more faith in Keontae being like that all star level player. Um Yeah. That's it. You you have a higher percentage chance of Kaysen being an all-star than I do. I have Kaysen as like a genuinely special like off-ball defender, IQ defender. Un, like I think he is like all defense upside, basically. Yeah, I agree with I think that. Keontae is a good defender. You know, like I think that there are levels to this shit. For sure. Right? Like on top of that, I think Kaysen is a better shooter off the catch than Keontae is. I think that Keontae is a much better pull-up shooter. Like, I have real questions about Kaysen's pull-up shooting. But I think that Keontae, or I think that Kaysen off the catch is really good, takes him off the hop, very in rhythm, super, like, polished footwork, super polished balance. Can't really take him off the bounce. I don't like the rhythm off the bounce. I don't like – I think it looks more mechanical off the bounce – Unless he's just like, you know, taking a sidestep, one dribble, relocation, pull up three, basically. Yeah. Um, Keontae can like legit just pull up in rhythm off the bounce. And that's super important. But I think that his rhythm off the catch is a little bit different. So where do you fall on how easy do you think it is to translate off the dribble shooting into being a good off the catch shooter? Oh, I think I would like. I think his touch is just markably better than Kaysen's, which to me, like especially, like I mean, he has yeah. stuff in, in high school coming off movement, and I, I mean, he's done movement yeah. movement stuff in Baylor. Like, I think it's just weight. I have a lot more confidence in the NBA developing catch and shoot guys than in like I don't. I just don't. You can't really develop yeah. a movement shooter. Like that's really hard to do. You have to have legit, legit touch to do that. So I think. I mean, that's something I'd, I'd need to know what Keontae's work ethic is like if I'm actually drafting him, you know, and like what that entails. Yeah. But um, I'd be like, I think that he could be a guy who's taking like seven or eight threes per game and hitting above league average. Like I'm I'm there yeah. with him um, just with what his touches and what the overall pull up stuff has been. Um, and like you mentioned, too, because like, I don't know, that's going to be my biggest struggle with with Kaysen, because if he's not it, by again, like he is a special, special defender, but by virtue of like, is he ever going to be able to super credibly run ball screens in a playoff setting? Like when you're talking about what that, and that's obviously a way. Well, to and go. here's the real issue with that. We're not going to find out the answer to that this yeah. year because Kentucky's no, exactly. just not going to 
have them do it. Um, no, I, I will readily admit, like we all have biases as evaluators, right? Mm. And Kaysen is Kaysen fits firmly into all of my biases that I tend to get wrong as an evaluator, just straight up, right? Like he is an elite defender. He is a great decision maker. His feel for the game is absolutely phenomenal. I tend to overvalue those specific traits. And all, all of Kaysen's greatness, like the the, tra- the traits that make him so good, are the things that I tend to overvalue as a prospect evaluator. So, like, I am fully ready to admit that, like, I am th- – this is one where – I'm going to have to, as I do my evaluations throughout the year, really try to set a lot of that aside Yeah. as I try and like evaluate Kaysen. But yeah, it's hard. I think he's a hard one. So to continue the game here, Keontae George or Nick Smith? Oh, Nick Smith. Nick Smith's okay. better. Keontae George or Anthony Black? Uh, Keontae. Okay. I... I think it's very, very, very strongly disagree. I with think that, it, I think. okay, that one's hard. It's team dependent because I still don't believe in Anthony Black shot. I'm like okay. I, I want to, but I just need to see it. I need to see more. Um, like I think in the right setting, awesome. But again, it just it depends on team. Um, but I think I'd have them close. Like I like if it's just one to one, Ant is better. I would have Ant over Keontae. But I think okay. again, it's just it's definitely team dependent. Interesting. Okay. Um, where do you have Keontae right now on your board? Uh, let me actually grab my phone really quick because I just did this this morning. So as as Mark goes to grab his phone uh, and takes <sighs> off his headphones, okay. I, I have Keontae somewhere in the like 13 to 15 range. Right okay, now, I have along with I yeah, have... along with Jarris Walker, Dariq Whitehead, Grady Dick, guys like that. Um I, and that's like I see him more as a top twenty pick as opposed to like a no question like unequivocally guaranteed lottery guy. I think he could end up there. Like if if he fixes the efficiency concerns in the Big Twelve, then all bets are off. Like could end up in the top ten very easily. But some of the efficiency stuff that has come up this year uh, has really given me pause and makes me kind of like you know, adjust here, you know, up and down as we're going. Totally fair. Yeah. I have, uh, I have Keontae ninth behind Ant and Dariq. Um, just because, I mean, Dariq, I'm, uh, we, we talked about this. I'm waiting until we, we got to see more. He's looked a little bit, little bit better recently. So, um, injuries are finicky. Um, but yeah. Okay. Last thing here. I just want to shout out, Tyrell Terry's Tyrell Terry, 31st overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft. Right, Mark? I think so. Yeah. Stanford's finest. Yeah. So Tyrell Terry, for people who saw, announced his retirement over the weekend. And he announced it talking about the fact that he's had struggles with anxiety attacks and just it seems like basketball was exacerbating his anxieties and I really just want to shout out Tyrell Terry uh, for being willing to talk about this publicly for being willing to leave basketball in order to go and kind of 
deal with this, deal with his issues and get them under control. And uh, it's a very, very important topic. I think mental health is like incredibly, incredibly important. And, you know, it's, it it sucks that Tyrell Terry is a guy that is incredibly talented. was an unbelievable shooter, incredible decision maker, passer, it sucks that basketball really kind of gave him these anxieties and like, uh, you know, made, made them worse at the end of the day. Um, and I just wanted to shout out Tyrell for being willing to talk about it and look like I, I talked to Tyrell a few times, you know, maybe I think two times, you know, semi-extensively pre-draft. I wrote like a big story on Tyrell pre-draft, um, is he was deciding whether or not he wanted to go back to Stanford. And he he's one of those people that is just so incredibly intelligent. Like you can see it from the jump, you know, like he's, he could do literally anything uh, on the planet. I mean, he's, you know, classic basketball player that goes to Stanford, right? Like super, super high level intelligence, very emotionally intelligent, um, really, really sharp dude. And, you know, I, is he moves on to do whatever he wants to do now with his life. And I, it seems like he's, you know, figuring that out as much as any 21 year old would be figuring that out. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 21. Um, it's good that he's going to be doing so with, you know, a million dollars in his bank account and going to get a real opportunity. So, you know, shout out Tyrell Terry. I'm glad that you uh, hopefully will be able to find some peace here coming up. Yeah, no. And, uh, and reading what he uh, what he put out, um, I agree. It's uh, I think it's I tend to. I mean, normally people really and not not sound like conceited, but normally people enjoy my work. Like people are cool with me, but I do get pushback sometimes at at not being critical enough. And I do think you know that's something I'm I'm trying to work on. Um, but this is why I tend to not be. Um, I think it's really easy to. I, I mean, oftentimes when when fans or anyone has a misconstrued idea about an athlete, it's about what the top 2% of athletes are doing. Um, When in reality, like this is very much set up like the United States. Like, I mean, okay. If you are the bottom rung of NBA players or professional athletes, you're not, it's, it's so different. Like it is just so incredibly different. Um, The, I never made it this far. I really struggled with a lot of the same stuff in in my boxing career. That's why my boxing career fell apart outside of a million other things and injuries. And, uh, and just, just have compassion for people because, um, you never really know what they're going through. You don't understand how difficult some things are for people to deal with. And it's not to say that what, you know, a regular person who's not an athlete is, is dealing with is, is any less difficult, but it's just different things. Um, so yeah. Shout out to Tyrell for being real with it. Um, just apologize they had to go through it. Yeah, and you know I'll point people to Dan Poneman's. Uh, so Dan yeah, Poneman was, was Tyrell's agent. Um, you know I'd imagine still is Tyrell's uh, representative within basketball, if you want to call it that. And uh, Dan did like a seven tweet thread, kind of talking about it and explaining the whole thing. And you know thought it was thought it was really good thought it was a really good uh, kind of explanation and, you know, kind of everything that Tyrell was going through and how, uh, 
how difficult it was. So uh, I'd point everyone that direction. Um, Mark, do you have anything else you want to talk about here? No, man, I think I'm good. It's hard. I I don't, I feel like it'd be wrong to follow that up with a movie take. So, yeah, I mean, we can, if you want, I've seen a lot over the course of the last week. Uh, what have I even seen recently? Well, okay. I'll let you start. Cause I'll probably think of something after I saw Banshees of in Sharon last night it's on the watch list. what did you think? Uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. Okay. Um, very, very, uh, sad <laughs> in many ways, but also like absolutely hilarious. Uh, one of the funniest movies and saddest movies I've seen this year. Um, it is brutal it is savage it is hysterical um yeah i loved it i loved everything about it colin farrell gives like a career best performance he is on every short list for the academy award for best actor so far this year and it's well deserved uh he is he is awesome in this movie okay i really want to see it now because i fun fact i actually i've never seen in bruges because in bruges came out what like 2006 2007 so that was like that was way before me getting understanding or being able to watch yeah. that movie. Um, that's also on. I have, dude, I, if, if I could just like take a break from basketball with like, and more like pause basketball. So I'm not missing anything. I would watch so many movies. Like yeah. I, my watch list is just monstrous right now, but um, I've always enjoyed Colin Farrell. He's had a really interesting career. Like the way that things have gone for him. Not that he's, it's like, it's been a good career, but um I'm enjoying what he's doing late career. Like he's done a lot of really good supporting roles that I've enjoyed instead of some of the lead stuff that he did, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so it's been fun. Oh, and look, Colin Farrell's been very open about the fact that he struggled with drug addiction, you know, early in his Not career right as he was, you know, yeah. Like, have you ever seen the movie Miami Vice, the Michael Mann movie? I've not. I think you can like kind of literally see the drug addiction that Colin Farrell is going through okay. in that movie. Um, because he checked into rehab, like I think right after he stopped like filming it. Okay. Um, they were like right around the same time. And if you notice, like things came for him super quickly, right? Like from 2000 to 2005, you know, he was, he was the guy. And then he takes like a couple of years after that, it feels like to really, you know, sit back and maybe like, think things through a little bit and get his life under control. Mm -hmm. And in Bruges comes out in 2008. And basically since then he has had like such an interesting, varied career where like, he's like, you know, what is he? He's like the third or fourth or fifth lead or something. I think he's like third or fourth lead in crazy heart. Like he's, um, you know, in fright night, he's in horrible bosses in that hysterical. He's so good in that too. Totally. And like, he's in the lobster where he's the lead in that movie and unbelievable. And like, he, he does so many interesting, varied things now where like, he's not, he's not afraid to humble himself and be like the seventh lead in widows or to be like, you know, kind of a like dull, dumb like movie star from time to time, even though I get the impression, like watching interviews with him, he is like the furthest thing from that. Like he's an incredibly thoughtful, like intelligent mm-hmm. person. Um, yeah. C- Colin Farrell is like un unquestionably like one of my favorite movie stars. Um, he's had one of the most interesting careers of the last, especially like 15 years, I think. And then this year it seems like it's kind of all come together. Cause I mean, a movie we haven't talked about is the Batman. 
but the Batman is one of my favorite movies. Dude, it was so good. That was so good. Like I loved it. And he is like a totally different person in that movie. Yeah. And then like he's a movie star basically in Banshees of Inisherin. And then his other movie this year is After Yang, which I haven't seen. And then also he's in 13 Lives, the Ron Howard movie that I thought was actually quite good as well. It's just like your typical, you know, centralized figure along with Vigo Mortensen. So yeah, really, really good movie. Like a really, really good year, really, really good career for Colin Farrell. And he'll be rightfully rewarded, I would imagine, by the Oscars this year with at least a nomination for Best Actor. Can only hope. Uh, Oscars has a way of uh, hissing all over itself. So we'll see how that goes. But um, <laughs> man, I'm trying to think. I have I even seen anything? I I don't. I actually don't think I've watched anything since we last. I know. Yeah. That. I I also saw um, Bones and All. What did you think of that which one? Is the Timothy Chalamet movie uh, with Taylor Russell. Very yeah. good. Really liked it. Yeah, I want to see it. Really good. I have to be in the right right mindset for that. That's uh, cannibalism. Cannibalism is a little bit off-putting. So uh, we're gonna, yeah, I'm gonna need the right time time for that one. Um, seeing the reactions to that has been something. Um, it's just a movie, but uh, yeah, I uh, no, I want to see that one. How would you, without spoiling it, how would you uh, kind of assess it? Uh, it's just like it's a romantic, like horror movie, kind of. Interesting is the way to explain it. Um, yeah, I mean, Chalamet is basically doing his best, like manic cannibal dream boy kind of thing. Um, well, we all hope for when we're in high school. Yeah. Interesting. He's like very like Taylor Russell is the lead of that movie. She's she's she is the best part of that movie. She's excellent. And I think she's absolutely outstanding for people that haven't seen the escape room movies. Um, she's the lead in the escape room movies. And She's very, very good in those films, like mm-hmm. absolutely outstanding in those movies um, is just like kind of a quiet lead. And then in she, she plays this, she plays like very quiet and internal extremely well uh, while trying to like sort through her life and figure things out. It's basically like young adult horror romance is yeah. the way to put it, I guess. Um and then the last thing I saw, I mean, I saw a bunch, like I saw Pinocchio, I saw, you know, a bunch of other stuff. I finally watched the Redeem Team documentary, which I never want to talk about again. Um, oh, <laughs> I didn't really like it. I yeah. thought it was a commercial, not yeah. a movie. That's, um, uh, ask me what I think about the MJ doc. So this is that, but drastically worse, I think. Oh, God. I, so like I, I did not like the MJ doc. I thought fun, the last dance was good. I thought it was fun, but I thought that like obviously it's also was. delusional. Um, right. Like, come on, and I'm sorry. Yeah, not to not to steal the show, but like they lied about the Sonic series. They lied about the Sonic series. Gary, you're mad I, about the basketball. It, I'm mad this about is, the, again, the most Mark Schindler thing in Dude, the history. Gary, of the podcast. Okay. They literally did not play Gary Payton on him the first two games. And then Gary Payton was awesome on him the last four games. I didn't have trouble with the glove. Yes, you did. He shot like 36% over the last four games of the series. Like, get over it. Like, I I just, I don't like self-serving documentaries. I'm sorry. I get that he's like arguably the greatest player of all time, but have some class, man. Um, No, not obviously as class, but you get what I'm saying. Do do. Gary Payton right. 
because Gary Payton was awesome. This, I'm biased because I have a Gary Payton. Jersey Mark not liking the Last Dance because of I wrote the an article Gary about Payton. it. <laughs> I watched the the night that that, that because of the defensive out. matchups. In I the went last back. Day. I went back that night, pulled clips from from the games, and wrote an article about how the Last Dance lied about the Seattle SuperSonics uh, because oh, that's what I do. God. So yeah, that is it. It really is what you do. Like yeah. that. That is unequivocally it, man. Um, I did not like the redeem team. It's everything. It's the same. The minute I hated the redeem team is when they tried to say Jerry Colangelo and Mike Krzyzewski saved USA basketball. Oh, That's when I was like, wow. Yes. I would hate this movie. Okay. This is actually bad. Um, So the, I watched the Fablemans. How was that? Which is one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, It's Steven Spielberg. Have you ever seen the movie? Almost famous. This is, yeah, very yeah, it was really good movie. That came out. Um, that's basically like, look, if I had to name like a top five movies of all time, that would definitely be in my top five favorite movies of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. This is, is basically really Steven Spielberg's Almost Famous. Um, okay. It's funny in the same way, similar to Almost Famous, where it's based on Cameron Crowe's life and him growing up as a teenager that was obsessed with rock and roll and wanted to become a journalist. You know, this is Steven Spielberg being obsessed with movies as a kid and wanting to become a filmmaker and everything that he went through. Um, the, the parallels are real in there. Um, and then the last movie I saw was triangle of sadness, which I didn't really like, which okay. is the winner of con this year. Um, movie with Woody Harrelson playing like a Marxist uh, boat captain. And then uh, Harrison or Harris Dickinson is like a model with Charles B. Dean, who unfortunately passed before this movie came out in the United States. Interesting movie. Uh, didn't really enjoy it. Didn't think it was um, a worthy winner of con, to be honest, but that's what I got. Mark, uh, have you figured out if you've watched anything? I actually don't have anything. Um, it's okay. been a busy last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of basketball. Is, I think is the best way to put it. I was catching up on a lot because I was so busy uh, doing interviews this last week. So no movies. Uh, should probably watch them the next couple of days, though. So I'll have plenty for the next episode. I love it. Okay. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe to everything you can to support the show. We will be back midweek with Adam Spinella. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.